The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Over the next few minutes, we're going to turn our attention to a short passage from the Bible in the book of Colossians, to kind of help us work on and understand one of the things that was sung several times, including in the last medley. Sung, but it can be a little confusing. That phrase, the power of the cross. We're going to think about that a little bit from a short passage. And the reason we need to do that is, if you understand what the cross was in Jesus' day, it is extremely odd to sing of it in any sort of a joyous manner. It was a common method of executing criminals. And as such, it was gruesome. Not at all living room sort of conversation. Yet we sing of it. Why? We're going to look at a short passage to understand that. But there's something in this cross that changes it from being sort of a song, a singing of the power of the hangman's noose or the power of the axe. That might get you a little in touch if you think about a beheading. That might get you a little in touch with what this is like. But there's something more there in this, more than just the obvious power to end a criminal's life. There's actually power there to give life. And not just to give life to one person, give it to countless multitudes. Obviously, I'm speaking of more than just physical life. I'm speaking of spiritual life, life in the heart inside here. There's power in the cross to do that. So we're going to look at our remaining minutes. Before we do that, let me pray. Father, I pray, would you come in in power, open the eyes of our hearts that we can see To come here now over the next several minutes, be in this room, give focus to us, give clarity to your word, and open the eyes of our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to look at a couple of verses from the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Colossae, hence the name Colossians. So he's writing to Christians there, and in the context of the couple of verses I'm going to read, he is reminding them of the supremacy of Christ, the exaltedness of Jesus. He tells them that this Jesus that you can look at with your eyes is actually the otherwise invisible God made visible. God, whose spirit, come to take on a body also, fully God and fully man, standing right there in front of you. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. And as such, he is the supreme one. The one through whom everything anywhere was made. Whether they be spiritual powers, whether it be physical things that you could look at and touch, everything everywhere was made through him and is made for him. He's in charge of it. It is all supposed to be turned towards him, giving him allegiance. He is the supreme one with absolute power. And he came to earth 
to wield that limitless power to do the otherwise impossible, to restore sinful people to a holy God. That's where we pick up in the passage. This is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Paul says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all the creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This passage is, in fact, tremendously positive, but it begins on a necessary negative note. Paul's speaking to Christians. As I said, he's writing to a church, so he's talking to folks who are believers, and so what he says is kind of in the past tense. This is something that used to be the case for you, but in fact, we're all born there. They were uniformly in this state. We're all born there. Most of the world is still there, perhaps even some of you here in this room. Still in the place where these folks were. And he addresses them as alienated from God, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Alienation, that's something that was together separated, cast off, a relationship broken. You could look at it and say that's because hostile in mind, that is on the inside, doing evil deeds on the outside. Those words are really clear. Not hard to understand evil deeds and alienation and hostile. They're pretty clear, and in fact, they're much more clear than we're used to discussing these sorts of things. Especially if it's in reference to us. Now, we all know what evil deeds are, right? Those are the things that other people do. (laughs) Maybe to me, but probably the kind of stuff that I read about in the newspaper or see on the news. Evil deeds, stuff out there, but certainly not anything in here. In fact, from God's perspective, as he says, that's us by nature doing evil deeds. Because from God's perspective, God is pure and holy. That means absolutely always does what is good and right because he is what is good and right. He is pure and holy and perfect, and we aren't. Perhaps we don't think that because we kind of modify the standard and then assume that we're okay. We kind of change things to fit how it looks to us. We call something like a little white lie, meaning it's a small thing. But for a God who is always pure and holy and perfectly truthful, any derivation from that is evil. It's saying, that's your standard, God? No. It's more convenient for me in my situation to twist things just a little bit, but to twist things so that I can get along well for me. God's eyes, evil deeds. And that happens because of what's inside of us, hostile in mind to him, hostile to him on the inside, bent against him, 
Now, where does that, what does that look like in our lives? Well, anybody who has a toddler knows one of the first words, and for one of our kids it was the very first word, that the child learns is no. We were one time walking through an airport, uh, I think this was in Germany, passing through an airport, and the picture is, you know, tons of travelers in an airport, adult male, little boy, and he says, Nyet! I don't speak Russian, but I understand that. <laughs> no. From birth, that's us. And parents work hard at undoing that. Nobody teaches that. You teach against that, and it keeps rising up because that's what we are on the inside. Any outside authority? No. I, I hear what you want, Dad, Mom, Grandma, Grandpa. I, I'd prefer this way. This is the way I'm going to go. This is what's going to do good by me. So thank you, but no thank you. Yet. And the greatest of all outside authorities is God. When who made us, for whom we exist, towards whom all of life is to be oriented, who says, this is my standard, this is who I am, this is what it is to be in right relationship with me, and we say, no. And the result of that is alienation. We reject him. We walk away from him. And he says, very well then. Alienation, separation. Some of us might not be in touch with that. You might still be thinking, well, I'm, I'm probably okay with God. It's true, though. It's still there. It's, it's that you might be able to identify it if you can kind of try to put your finger on the hard-to-define missingness in life. Some people I know would describe it as like a hole on the inside, that they're never able to permanently fill something missing. Others are very much in touch with guilt and sense God's hand upon them for their sin. For me, it wasn't really either of those two things. I kind of began first to get in touch with alienation from God in searching for and missing a, a kind of a foundational meaning in life. I was succeeding in a lot of life. And I found myself and the culture around me teaching me and encouraging me. I found myself striving and succeeding, striving and succeeding, striving and succeeding so that I could have something to leave to my kids, I was told, so that they could strive and succeed and strive and succeed and strive, so they could have something to leave to their. And I began to wonder what's the point of all the striving and succeeding? Who really cares? What's the, what's the point? And what I didn't realize is that alienated from the one for whom I was made, for whom my life exists, the one who gives meaning to all of this, alienated from that, there isn't any meaning. I was searching where there isn't anything to be found. We're going to have Easter egg hunts next week probably. If you send the kids into the backyard where there aren't any eggs, guess what? They won't find any. And you know that. And they'll look high and low all day long and there aren't any there. That's what I was finding accidentally. I didn't understand it at first. 
I was looking for something that wasn't there. It's only over here. The alienation was my problem. Maybe that's yours. Maybe you can identify it in that way. Or maybe you sense the guilt. Or maybe you look at the whole. Or maybe none of that connects to you. And God in grace has just straight up told you in English. So you can understand it. Alienated. Hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. God in grace tells us of that in plain English so that you can see it and respond to that truth and do something about it. Or rather, see it, respond to the truth, and receive what he has done about it at the cross. This is what the power of the cross is about, fixing this alienation problem and restoring it. That's verse 22. You who once were this way, he has reconciled. And that's actually the main point. If you were to look grammatically at the sentence, it's a subordinate clause. You who once were alienated and hostile mind doing evil. It's a subordinate clause. The main clause is he has reconciled you. That's the main point of the Bible. The main clause is the grace of God come to fix. The main point of the Bible is not you're bad. You have to hear that first so that you know there needs to be something done. But the main point is God in grace has done it. He has reconciled, speaking to Christians, or to those who aren't yet Christians, you may yet be reconciled. How? Crystal clear, by his death. Right there in the verse. By his death. The power of the cross is that in the death of Jesus on the cross, that which was alienated can be restored reconciled, relationship fixed. That's why Jesus, God, the second person, came to earth and took on a body so as to work that reconciliation. He himself, not us. That's why he came. And he does it by way of a great trade. You might have picked it up. There are a couple of lyrics about this in a couple of different songs, the power of the cross being one of them. He became sin for us. There's a trade here. Looking at me by nature from birth, I am hostile to God. And the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming against all that is hostile to him, all that is set against him. I describe it sometimes to my kids like a fist. The most powerful fist you've ever known is coming and it will strike and shatter all that is opposed to him, all that is evil. And the wrath and the curse of God will fall on and destroy it forever. Now, some are saying, hold on a second. You talk about the wrath and the curse and destroying and shattering, and you talk to your kids about a fist? What are you talking about? Who wants a God like that? We all do. 
We all desperately want a God like that. When you open up the newspaper and you see nine-year-old girls sexually abused, you want a God who will take care of that. When you, op- when you turn on your internet and you go to your browser and thousands killed in Gaza, civil war in the Sudan, you want a God who will deal with that. Not a God who's going to say, oh, you know, mm, wish they wouldn't, but that's kind of unfortunate. Sorry. No. I heard Oz Guinness speak one time. Oz Guinness is a British philosopher, theologian, and he says, sometimes in life we say, God damn him, and we mean it. And it is right. You cannot look at the atrocities of life and say, oh, I really hope God is not wrathful against evil. You want that kind of a God who will come and wipe the world clean and restore it to what it is supposed to be and establish beauty and justice, righteousness here, the life that is supposed to be. You want a God who will bring that. The problem comes is that we read the newspaper and think that's all out there and fail to realize, verse 21, you, me, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We need him to fix everything, but we don't realize that I'm part of the problem. So are you. And the wrath of God is coming because he's holy and pure, and he will wipe the world clean of evil. The fist is bearing down, and the problem is I'm the target. And so what I also say to my kids is that what Jesus is doing on the cross is saying, the fist is coming, I will step in and take it for you. I will step in and absorb the wrath of God myself so that you don't have to take it. The wrath of God is going to exact an eternal punishment. God, eternal God, who came to earth in flesh, can take an eternal punishment and live again. That's what Easter's about. And so he says, I will step in. I will take that for you. I will become your sin in your place, and I will give you my righteousness so that you can stand aside. The wrath will fall on me, and all that's left to fall on you is the love of God. You've got to see this and see in the words, wrath and curse, and in the exchange of Jesus stepping into the place of a human being on the cross. You've got to look at that and see not an angry, evil God, but a gracious and loving one. Because first of all, he has told us of the situation, given us warning. He didn't have to do that. And second of all, he has acted to fix the problem. The verse does not say, you who once were alienated, you have now reconciled yourselves. Congratulations. It says, he has reconciled by the death of Christ. There is love and grace unending in that. 
that he would do that, that he would respond to this situation that we are in first in love, first in grace before wrath. He's offered up the blood of Jesus to cover your sin, that you can be forgiven, reconciled, and find life again. I need to clarify, when I say the blood of Jesus, what I really mean is what the verse says, by his death. It's perhaps possible that we listen to some of the songs or listen to some Christian lingo, and we might get confused about something. Simply the shedding of blood by Jesus is not sufficient. This would not work. The, the exchange would not work if he, if he slit his wrist and bled for a minute or two or three. Or if he whacked himself with a hammer so that it really hurt and then slit his wrist and bled. So there's pain involved too. That's not going to work. Nor does it work when he bleeds when the crown is pressed on his head and then the blood runs on his forehead. Nor does it work when he sweats drops of blood in the garden. The reconciliation happens, the atonement happens only when he dies on the cross. Why is that? Because the only punishment that will absorb the wrath of God is death. When we say to God, yet, I don't want to live under your rules, I don't want to live under your standards, he's saying then you forfeit your life. You forfeit your life forever. The only thing that will replace that is a life, not just some blood. The atonement happens at the cross only by his death. And there at the cross, there is power enough to restore every broken relationship between every single person in this room, in this world, who is alienated from God. If, verse 23, If you yourself continue on in the faith, steadfast, not wavering from the hope, if, that is, you genuinely believe, not just intellectually kind of understand this or not have any really strong beef with it, if you believe genuinely, not flippantly. The words there, you, you see the words there, if you're looking at a Bible, continue and stable and steadfast and not shifting. All those words are about this sort of faith, a grabbing and a holding. It says, I cast my trust on that and I, I, I clamp down on it and I don't let go of it. It's a persevering faith. And if you believe, that, that's the only thing that faith actually is. If you believe then roll it backwards. You will be reconciled and presented before God as blameless, not as sinful. Restored in life again. And he calls it a hope. There's hope in that. It starts out on a negative note, but there is a tremendous positive hope in that. If you believe, you will be reconciled. Now, for a Christian, you should listen to that again for the very first time. 
and rejoice in it. You are reconciled. He's talking to Christians about something that has happened to them already. You are reconciled, and you stand before God, as the verse says, blameless before him, holy before him. He looks at you and says, pure. And then he works in us to make that reality in our day-to-day lives. It's a sanctification process. That's another story. If you're a Christian, that should cause you to rejoice. There's a union now between you and God. But if you're not a Christian, obviously what it means is you should believe. Because you stand under the fist And there is an offer of a tremendous, a tremendous solid wall that will stop it and leave you on the the other side only under grace. The wrath of God against sin is good and it can be poured out somewhere else. If you believe it, believe. Today, right now, I don't mean to be speaking theoretically here. I mean right now. Where you sit at this moment, believe. There is hope here if you do, and if you don't, you walk away from the only thing that is hope. Believe. Basically, I'm done. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, talk to God. Whatever whatever condition that you're in, talk to God and say either, thank you for the power of the cross that has restored me to relationship with you. Despite all my sin, the sin that I still struggle with, that you are working out of me, I'm yours. Thank you for that. Talk to him while I'm praying. If you're not a Christian, talk to him and say, save me. Move into my heart and change me. I need the power of the cross to take care of my sin, to turn away your wrath. Please, God, save me. Talk to him. And if you're not ready to do that, talk to him anyway and say, show me where I am. Show me what's true. Speak. I want to know the truth. Talk to him about that. And if you want to talk further to a real human being about that, see me at the door and say, hey, I'd like to talk about this further. I'd love to. On the way out, as you're going out, on the right side of the door, there's a little podium with some booklets. Looks like this. Two ways to live. Pick up one of those, thumb through it. It'll take you a few minutes to read it. It explains this message in brief. Read it. Talk to me at the door if you want to talk further. Talk to God right now as I pray. Pray with me. Father, one of the most alarming and unsettling realities in in life is that you are angry with sin. And desperately opposed to evil. 
That's alarming and unsettling, but it is true. And I pray that for those of us here who need to hear that, that you would settle it on them and bring conviction as you said you would through your spirit. Would you do that, please? And then would you also shine forth the more dominant theme of the Bible, your grace provided in Christ's cross. Make that even more apparent. Make it more real. Shine forth the hope. And use that, Father, I pray, to stir up thankfulness and confidence and faith in Christians and cause us to hold on to this all the more firmly. And for those here, Lord, who don't know you, would you stir up in them faith for the first time and save them? Father, we want to listen to you and follow you and be people-pleasing to you. And so I pray, work that in us today, this afternoon, this evening, this week. Work in us your will, Lord. Make us people-pleasing to you by grace. And thank you for the power of the cross. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.